Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than BBC Radio Bristol commentator and the winner of the 2022 Christopher Martin Jenkins Broadcaster of the Year Award, Mr. Ed Seaborn. So, Ed, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, pretty good. I've reached the stage where the World Cup has kind of taken over my life and we've not exactly got a thriller on our hands today. I don't think we're recording at the time of New Zealand versus Bangladesh and I have a horrible suspicion that New Zealand are going to make mincemeat of this title that Bangladesh have posted. But yeah, I've enjoyed the World Cup so far. I think it's whilst the 10 team format isn't anybody's favourite, I don't think other than the TV broadcasters, it does at least mean that you've got one game basically one game a day and you've got guaranteed cricket for quite a nice time frame for the UK audience so you've got cricket all the way through from the morning to the evening which suits me perfectly. <laughs> I was about to say no one can really complain about that can they especially if you do love the the wonderful game of cricket and just before we get into the the main content for today's podcast which will of course revolve around the world of broadcasting and of course your county cricket experiences Ed. A little bit about the World Cup, because I suppose it is the the big event in world cricket at the moment. I know it's a very, very cliche thing to ask, but at this moment in time, who do you think will lift that trophy come the final? Well, I think I'm going to give probably the tired and obvious answer. It's very hard to look past India at the moment. They they have home advantage. They have a, a rounded side. They've managed in their squad of only 15 players seemingly to have more options than most of the other sides available you kind of look at at the squads of almost every other team and I think you'd even include England in this and you'd say well if that person goes down then who've you got within your squad to come in and it feels as if India have got all sorts of bases covered if any of their players go down Shubman Gill who has probably been he averages something like 60 in ODI cricket, I think, so far. And they're missing him and they haven't missed a heartbeat so far. So it really is laughable, the depth that Indian cricket has. And you would be surprised if... They, I mean, they're going to qualify for the semi-finals. There's, there's going to be no issue for them doing that. I think the only thing is, as ever, the beauty of knockout cricket. They've still got to win two pressure games. And there is going to be a lot of pressure on them. But, you know, they've got Virat Kohli and as part of that side who's been there and done that before as far as winning home World Cups go. So perhaps there isn't as much pressure on them as there might be. I, I, I find it hard to look past them. Yeah, to be honest, Ed, I think I am in agreement with India. They are definitely the favourites. But I suppose the big talking point, again, just before we get into the main content of today's episode, is England. Because it's been a somewhat indifferent start, hasn't it? I mean, a massive loss at the hands of New Zealand, followed by a very convincing win against Bangladesh. How do you rate the three Lions' chances heading into the rest of this competition? Yeah, well, I think the first two games have kind of mirrored what England have done in ODI cricket since pretty much the last World Cup, where 
it's gone down the list of priorities. The T20 format seemed to be raised in priority. They won that World Cup, so I guess it worked. Whereas this just feels like, well, we're, we haven't really had much time to build towards this World Cup in this format after we've just won the T20. And rather than having the kind of four years of full focus between 2015 and 2019, where it felt as though every move that the England team made was was geared up towards finding the right players to fit in the various slots, bowling and batting wise. And it just feels this time it's a little bit more kind of, well, we've got this player, they could probably go there or maybe we'll have bat in the middle order or maybe we won't or you know the the bowling attack well Topley's taken a lot of wickets so we we have Topley in there but then we don't play him in the first game and it it does feel a little bit more kind of we don't really know exactly what the best 11 is or at least some components of the best 11 and I think it's so far we've seen it's the teams that know exactly what their best team is that have got off to the best starts in this World Cup, New Zealand, South Africa and India. You could have pretty much with maybe the exception of, say, a seamer for a spinner, that kind of decision, said what those three 11s were going to be before the first ball was bowled. I think there was still debate about what England's best team would be. But maybe because there's enough time in this World Cup and because there's enough talent in that England side, they can again get to those knockout stages knowing what their best team for this World Cup is going to be. And I don't think too many sides, and it feels extraordinary having grown up an England fan with probably the first World Cups I had consciousness of being the 2003 World Cup and 1999, etc. We just about had consciousness of 1999. To say that actually, in terms of playing knockout cricket with confidence, very few sides probably have more confidence in knockout one-day cricket than England at the moment. So you, you you certainly can't write them off. And again, it's just about making that top four, I think, for them. It most definitely is. And I do think back to 2019 and obviously two very different teams. I think you make a great point there about the balance and the overall comfort of the eleven in 2019 you could tell from 1 to 11, you know exactly who was starting. Whereas in this current crop, I don't think there's that certainty and that might play against England in this World Cup. But just going back to that tournament in 2019, we did have an early defeat, didn't we? At the hands of Pakistan at Trent Bridge. So again, it's a long tournament. Anything can happen. I suppose the World Cup in many ways is actually very reflective of the one-day formats. Things can change. There's an ebb and a flow over the course of the month or so. So it should be a great tournament. I'm very much looking forward to watching England in the rest of this year's World Cup. And yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Definitely do think that India are the favourites. South Africa are a dark horse. I think they've been absolutely outstanding, to be honest. And they were before the World Cup in that series against Australia. But yeah, it's going to be a fascinating World Cup. And yeah, can't wait to watch it over the course of this next month or so. But Ed, we've spoken there an awful lot about the World Cup. And this is, of course, the County Cricket Podcast. So a large chunk of our content does focus and revolve around the wonderful world of county cricket. So just to take it all the way back to the origins of the Ed Seaborn cricketing story, what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? 
Well, I fear that I'm going to take it back to international cricket again, but only briefly. I promise you I will get to county cricket. So my first game of cricket in terms of going and watching. So this is probably around about when I first picked up. A, well, no, it wouldn't have been when I first picked up a bat and ball, but it would have been when I first started playing cricket at school. So I would have been, I think, six, not quite seven, when I went to my first game of cricket, which was England versus Zimbabwe. I've always had a soft spot for Zimbabwe since. England versus Zimbabwe in the year 2000 at Trent Bridge. Um, it, it wasn't a particularly remarkable game of cricket. I saw Mike Atherton not quite make a century. I think he was he was about 90-odd not out overnight, so I didn't even get to see Mike Atherton complete his 100. That happened the next morning. But I can say for Luleki and Carla's test debut, I was there. That was also my first day of cricket watching. Uh, I'm trying to think my, my first game of of county cricket. I'm not even sure what it would have been. We used to go because I grew up in Lincolnshire and because I didn't tend to care too much about which teams I was watching. And, and after a while of going to test cricket, which I say a while, I mean, it was only about three or four days of test cricket that I went to, but kind of worked out well actually county cricket's cheaper and you get a day out of it still so why not just go to a few more county matches so we tend to go to Trent Bridge or Derby or Northampton and so that's kind of where the county cricket journey began I'm trying to think back I mean I've got, I've got such less clear memories of my first county game one of the first would have been in 2005 so saw leicestershire take on somerset it was at oakham so they've actually this year they revived revived not revised revived the oakham not quite festival but they had a match at oakham this year and so Went there, saw a, a little known. Um, well, what quite? I don't think he was quite schoolboy, but he, he would have been not too far removed from. You can see where this is going. Not yeah. too far removed from actually having played cricket on that ground as a schoolboy, and and saw somebody called Stuart Broad play. And it was only when I took out a folder of cricketing memorabilia that I've got. And I looked at the scorecard because the main reason I'd gone to see that game was because Sanat Jayasuriya was playing for Somerset. And I know that, especially nowadays, any mention of that county is too much. And the idea of going to see Somerset as the Gloucestershire broadcaster for the purpose of seeing a Somerset player is, is probably not welcomed by some. But, you know, it's Sanat Jayasuriya. And he was opening the batting with Graham Smith. So you, you couldn't not go and see that game. And I managed to get both of their autographs. I'm not really an autograph hunter now, but in those days as a, a schoolboy, I do have quite a few scorecards with some pretty good signatures on. And that one has all three of Graham Smith, Sanat Jaisiria and Stuart Broad on. But I can't say at the time 
I had any indication of how Stuart Broad's career was going to go on from there. He was just a, a, a little known youngster to me. And of course, I, I probably just about knew Chris Broad from Gloucestershire days and being an England great himself, but didn't really think too much about Stuart Broad that day, I must confess. <laughs> Goodness me, Ed. Well, that is an absolutely wonderful story. It really is. And, and three bona fide legends of the game. Graham Smith, one of South Africa's finest ever test captains. Sanath Jaisaraya, what a cricketer. Goodness me, what a time to be alive in county cricket, watching him do his thing for Somerset and, of course, for Sri Lanka. And then a certain Stuart Broad had a decent career, didn't he, in the end, Ed? Went on to achieve quite a few things in, in international yeah. cricket. And, Formed and a you know semi, that... semi-decent partnership with, with Jimmy Anderson, I think. Yeah, and you know, actually, one of the great things looking back on this past year, I actually went to my first, and it shows you, I, I've, I've, I've watched so much Ashes cricket, obviously, over the years. But this year was the first day of Ashes cricket I've been to live. I went to the first day at Headingley this year. And that would have been the first time I'd seen Stuart Broad bowl since 2005. So I think I'm right in saying Broad made his test debut either later on in 2005 or early in 2006. I should be able to remember that, but I can't. So effectively, I've bookended Stuart Broad's career in terms of my sort of not not quite my cricket watching career in general. But it just shows you how how defining those two players have been to my cricketing upbringing and you mentioned Jimmy as well I I'd never seen Jimmy bowl live before last year covering Gloucestershire versus Lancashire in the county championship so that was quite an experience and the first ball I saw Jimmy Anderson bowl was a wide goodness me it is it's crazy isn't it when you think about it these milestones I suppose in your life I know that's very profound isn't it to say that but milestones in your life which are defined by this incredible sport and we've mentioned some absolute greats of the world of cricket right with the likes of Smith, Jaisaraya, Anderson, Broad, you mentioned Michael Atherton earlier as well and we are just so lucky to be honest to be able to witness so many great players so Ed I've got to ask who would you say is your cricketing idol if there's one player that you could watch right for the rest of your life in a cricketing capacity? Who would it be and why? Well, that's a, a very easy question. I kind of touched on the first time I picked up a, a bat and a ball earlier on. And, and we used to play uh, under nine level at my school. I was, was, of course, lucky that my school offered cricket because goodness knows enough children are growing up now that don't get that opportunity. But we started off with quick cricket. I don't know if that's still exists but cricket was was my first two years of cricket so beautiful plastic blue stumps and a bright sort of orangey slightly squishy ball that you bowled with and that's what we played and you you tended to play in kind of seven aside I think something like that and and rotate around so I think you used to play basically two full rotations of your side so you inevitably at that stage it's very low scoring so you probably end up about 
20 all out if you only played if that 20 all out and 15 of them are wide but if you only played one rotation that's probably what you'd get so it just it just made it a, a bit more of a an occasion in an afternoon so when i started playing cricket i was bowling seam up so i was probably the the second fastest bowler for st hughes under nines um which is is quite an accolade and i'm surprised you didn't use that actually in your intro but um after that and i think it was before i got to under 11 stage my dad decided that the best way for me to get better at cricket was to try and bowl leg spin what a great idea that was i mean it's all very well saying well there aren't very many leg spinners about so you should try and bowl leg spin but it's quite another thing actually trying to control a ball whilst you're effectively trying to break your own wrist so that was where i ended up as a blonde leg spinner in the early 2000s so i think it's fairly obvious who my hero is going to be even if of course he did play again for the wrong team so i've got a bit of a history of of you know idolizing players who played for the incorrect team but you can't not idolize shane warne especially if you're trying to bowl leg spin i tried to copy everything that he did i probably even went through a phase of grunting like warne did when he released the ball but yeah i might have bowled one ball in my school career that shane warne might have been at least slightly happy with having released but no i it it, it was great and there's no i, I don't think and I, I pity those who've never bowled leg spin and never had this feeling i i don't think there can be a better feeling in cricket than when you bowl a good leg break pitches just outside leg spins to hit off and the batter just slogs across the line thinking that's a massive long up i can hit that one over mid wicket and he misses it by a mile and is bowled that is the best feeling in cricket and i'm not sure i mean it sounds quite sadistic actually but but there we go it, i don't think there can be a better feeling than bamboozling somebody to that sort of extent and i may have managed it a couple of times well that's two more times than i ever did because when i tried leg spin it always ended up on the roof of the nets which wasn't ideal <laughs> yeah that, that may have happened a couple of times well you know they say give it some air you know and and, <laughs> and actually if you do do give it some air you just say well it would have would have dipped i'm sure just just put a load of put a load of revs on that one would have, would have dipped in time yeah i like your optimism ed but i don't think these ones would have and i struggled to get them back down as well and after that i went you know what i, I don't think i'm the next rashid khan or shane warne <laughs> gave yeah. leg spin up i think the, mo the most frustrating days as a leg spinner though at least for me are the days when it comes out i'm trying to get my orientation right here when it comes out too much out of the back of the hand all you can do is bowl top spinners it's so irritating because you think you know your action's fine you get to the crease and you, you sort of the, the difference between just bowling bland sort of almost back of the the hand toppies when you know when you get too over the top with it versus the nice big ripping leg break it's it's quite a small gap or at least it was for me i'm sure others don't find that but i always did and those are the most annoying days not just the days when the ball's not turning at all but the days when you just can't get that release right and ugh, you know you're just bowling slow 
pies that aren't doing anything and you're just getting absolutely carted off into next week. Yeah, I think there's there's village cricketers up and down the country who are very much nodding their head along with that, I think, Ed. It's a very, very similar feeling for a lot of people. But we, we mentioned there the late, great Shane Warnens. He is, again, a titan of the game, one of the greatest to ever do it. 708 test wickets over the course of a glittering career for Australia. And I've got to ask, before we get into the chat about broadcasting, if you could relive one moment from Shane Warne's career, which one would you select? I think probably in terms of Warne, there are a, a couple that stick out. One being the Andrew Strauss ball in 2005. Just, you know, I would have been start one, well, would have already started to bowl some leg breaks during that time. And just the idea that somebody could produce a ball that turned that much and managed to make a a really great batsman look that foolish i think that would be one but also i i one of my major sort of formative things in cricket was the compilation whatever you want to call it video of the 1999 world cup and i think it was called something like carnival of cricket and I must have watched that about 20 times. That's probably underselling it, actually, just over and over again. And I was probably a bit too young to remember it. But watching Warren bowl throughout that World Cup, but particularly in the, the couple of games, those pivotal games that got a lot of airtime yesterday at the time of recording during the Australia versus South Africa match, where Australia behind in the game in both of them and, and they just chuck the ball to Warren and it's just mesmerizing I think he you know he he turned certainly at least he turned that semi-final around coming on to bowl and or at least he turned it around so that South Africa didn't win as they should have done you know towards the end they might well have won far more easily and it just that incredible determination and the way that you knew that if Warren was throwing the ball that the game was about to turn one way or another and then you know going actually going back to 2005 it was almost whilst watching Kevin Peterson actually for a, a while in a couple of the tests take down Shane Warren was incredible from an English point of view I mean nobody had dared to do that to Warren before but it was almost like it was almost a painful experience for me because I've been trying to bowl leg spin and watching those times when people can get hold of you and you're kind of reliving your your own trials and tribulations on the cricket field through watching Shane Warne get carted. But in some ways, maybe it showed you that even the all-time greats could have that happen to them occasionally as well. So, yeah, that was a, a sort of a long-winded answer. But, yeah, I think I'd probably in terms of an individual moment say that that ball to Andrew Strauss. Fair enough and yeah he did have Strauss's number on quite a few occasions didn't he Mr Warren. I think he also got him out for his 700th wicket at the MCG so again Warney we could discuss him for the entire podcast. What a man what a legend and for those who have not watched the documentary I cannot recommend that enough it's it's quite emotive to be honest but it's also a wonderful 
look back on on the man's life and yeah definitely worth a watch if you do love the wonderful game of cricket and Ed, we've spoken there a lot about playing cricket and watching cricket, but obviously your job involves describing cricket, talking about cricket and commentating on cricket. So I think this is a perfect place, actually, to pick up our conversation about the world of broadcasting. So how did that young lad who used to watch county cricket now and then and obviously international cricket and England from time to time go from playing cricket and bowling leg spin, trying to be the next Shane Warne, to going into the world of commentary, how did that journey first materialise, per se? Well, I think it probably started around about the time that, as you say, I realised that my leg spin was never going to be good enough. And, or at least, certainly the leg spin on its own wasn't going to be good enough. I think if if I had equal abilities with bat and in the field, then county age group would probably have been a option but it wasn't i was i was very much the one dimensional cricketer and so there came a point sort of midway through when i was at school when i just i wasn't playing for the the 11 that i kind of wanted to be and then it was well i i don't really actually enjoy playing very much i just had that epiphany of of actually I hate batting and I don't really like fielding either I enjoy captaincy and I enjoy bowling leg spin but unfortunately there's more to cricket than just bowling and and ordering people where to go and stand so that was sort of I guess one of the the places that it started and and also just going back to test match special when I think about the the origins of of playing and watching but the origins of of listening to cricket for me were were just as important those school runs where you had TMS on sort of late on in the day and and early in the morning maybe as well but usually late on in the day well, I suppose it would be early morning if it were in a way Ashes series, for example. I can can certainly remember listening to to a couple of the Ashes tours down under where the day's just finishing as it's time to go off to school. And then we used to go on driving holidays in France a little bit when I was younger. So that, again, was accompanied by TMS. So we'd be going down whatever A road it is in northern France. and usually. 198 long wave would drop out somewhere near Rouen and then that would be that certainly no days of being able to listen on digital anymore at, uh, at that stage so yeah I, I I guess it started in a way from from listening a lot to TMS and I, I don't really know exactly when it was that I kind of decided yet yeah, cricket commentary is the thing but it certainly did happen while I was still at school but really it was certainly not an option for me to go into that and say that's what I want to do and I think this is part of the thing with um, getting into sports broadcasting there are so many different ways I and mean, nowadays you have your your sports journalism degrees and and all that kind of thing but but actually it's not 
mandatory and I've not had any broadcasting training I've, I've never been told this is what you should do or you know everything that I've done has been learning on the job or more accurately probably learning through what I've already listened to when I was young so it wasn't a case of I got out of school and I wanted to be a cricket commentator but it was always something which god that would be a dream wouldn't it I mean it, it had been a, a dream for years and years and years so I guess when people and it's, it's it is the the question you probably get asked most when you say that you commentate on cricket is well how did you get into that well I just tend to answer quite simply because I wanted to I think that's a great point to be honest Ed and we'll touch upon that when we discuss the the more difficult aspects of broadcasting because in particular that first breakthrough is the hardest one to get isn't it it's the one which you have to do so much work for you have to get your name out there you have to show people what you're capable of and a lot of times you're going to get rejected it just happens it's part and parcel of broadcasting but once you're in it it's one of those industries where you're in aren't you and that is the great thing about it as we shall discuss in due course but just on those lines what was your first breakthrough then was that in a cricket capacity or was it in a different field how did you go from playing cricket to commentating on the game? So I went to the University of Bristol and studied physics. So again, much like the moment I realised that I was never going to be a professional cricketer in my second year, but really mostly towards the end of my first year studying physics, I realised I was never going to be a physicist and so once again straying from the path that I should have gone on which was to gravitate towards Gloucestershire I knew that Somerset down the road had a volunteer radio service that they operated at that time so the BBC commentating was still happening they were in the old potting shed as they used to call it on the top of the old pavilion which is still one of the the best places to watch cricket from in those cinema seats at the old pavilion and the floor below there was a commentary box probably far better than the ones that the bbc had on the top of the pavilion where this volunteer radio service happened so i got in touch with um the person who ran that and asked if i could come along and it was just a case of coming along for first of all just a short session and then it was can you come along and do a bit more and do a bit more and i was really lucky because effectively i got to do and that was the last summer that it happened before they shut it down because they were knocking down the old pavilion and building the Marcus Triscothic pavilion but also I think they'd just you know lost the need for it really with the BBC commentary having existed for several years and they'd done quite well to hold on to their radio service whereas a lot of other counties which used to have that sort of thing then 
got rid of theirs quite quickly as soon as the BBC commentary became something that they did every ball of every game as the strap line goes now but it wasn't like that in the early stages it was just a case of well some counties did it other counties only did updates for their local BBC station and and some had these sorts of volunteer services mostly for you know for for people who were either partially sighted or blind and needed something to follow the cricket along with so I was ridiculously lucky in that capacity and that I got to cover a tour match against Australia, which, you know, regardless of whatever else happens in my broadcasting career, I can at least say I've got to cover technically the Australians, of course, but got to cover Australia in 2015 and saw Shane Watson score a, a century. Uh, and also they had a couple of games of England Lions taking on Bangladesh A at Taunton. So they covered those games as well. So that was, you know, just just absolutely magnificent to be able to do things like that and get to kind of cut my teeth a little bit before actually going on to the BBC and getting some sort of a a, a clue about how to keep going for an hour or two whilst there's not a great deal going on and so from there it was somebody who was also part of that service who'd worked for the BBC in the past who said well why don't you just get in touch with Radio Bristol and see what they say so it was just to start with come along and 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 have a um have a bit of a watch from behind the scenes it was actually late in 2015 probably in it's been august 2015 something like that anyway it was it was it was the 2015 game between gloucestershire and surrey but not that 2015 game between Gloucestershire and Surrey where they won the one day cup in the final. It was the game in the group stage of that competition where Gloucestershire lost. So that was my BBC debut. I was there with the great Bob Hunt and the great Mark Church. And so I got about a five over stint, I think, in the first innings and in the second innings so they you know they, they they were great really they didn't have to do that they didn't have to give me any time on air whatsoever but I got five overs in and sort of one thing led to another really Mark Church said come along to the Oval so I did that next year uh, just that time completely shadowing because they were on as was then five live sports extra and so it was a bit more difficult then but i met daniel norcross for the first time because he was there doing five live updates and that sort of thing and it was for the next few years really up until 2020 it was just a couple of t20s here and there mostly the t20s where gloucestershire were playing a team where their 
local BBC station, because it, it still works like that with some of the BBC stations like Radio Wales, for example, and, and actually more North Group teams seemingly than South Group teams like to do this, where they have separate BBC commentaries now. And so it tended to be for those games. So, you know, Gloucestershire versus Essex. Essex often liked to do their own. Um, trying to think of, of another couple of earlier ones. I think I did Kent quite early on, but just one or two T20s here and there. And so I was kind of about the, I suppose the, what the, the really big break was in 2020 and it wasn't actually through covid in gloucestershire's case because gloucestershire were going to start up their own streaming service regardless of what happened they'd set 2020 as a date that they were going to do that whereas for other counties it was very much a case of we're going to enhance this streaming service in 2020 because of covid and i don't know actually there might i suspect most of the people who listen to this will know this but it's actually surprising still how many people don't know this and the messages that you get even now saying when you're doing bbc commentary on the streams going why are you pointing out stuff that we can all see well it's radio commentary it's synced to the tv pictures and it makes it quite confusing in that some counties like gloucestershire like Middlesex, of course, Surrey and Northamptonshire have started doing theirs a bit later on as well, where they have the stream commentary on all formats and it is separate from the BBC commentary. So they're not describing the bowler running in because you can see that. But there always exists the option to have the BBC commentary alongside it. But I think because of the fact that some streams are like that and also because streaming i think really has brought a new audience to county cricket in that a lot of people don't necessarily know that backstory with the bbc commentary and assume that the commentary's always existed for the purpose of being alongside the pictures so gloucestershire had decided that they were going to do their own stream they were going to get it sponsored. So it was sponsored by, I nearly said, a well-known group of Caribbean islands known for being a place that rich millionaires can store some offshore money. But I can say the Cayman Islands because we're not on the BBC. So this is the, the, the BBC stuff is, is always ticking around. But so that they had the, the Visit Cayman Islands tourist board were sponsoring it in the first year and because of various legalities bbc commentary can't be put alongside advertising on a stream at least it was decided i think there's still some wondering maybe at the moment as to whether or not actually that that could be changed but at the moment that's that's what they're going with so they needed a couple of commentators i'd happened to be hanging around for a little while doing a few games here and there and so ian randall who is still doing gloucestershire's stream now a former editor of sport at bbc radio gloucestershire rang me up 
probably a matter of two or three weeks before the start of the 2020 season when we knew what that was and that was probably the most important single phone call of my life and I certainly didn't know that that was going to be the case at the time but you can imagine the adrenaline when it's it's coursing through you when you get that call saying would you be a part of the commentary team and and to start with it was only sold as you come along and and do a bit of a trial so we covered the warm-up game or at least i think it was actually a day of the warm-up game against somerset in 2020 and it was very much a sort of come along see how it goes we might have somebody else lined up as well and you know I'm, i hate to sound anything other than modest but this is what happened the gloucestershire media team said that basically within about two overs they knew that they weren't going to need any sort of a backup which was flattering to hear and so that's what i did for a year and a half and again another lucky break in that that coincided with the sad retirement of long-time voice of Gloucestershire cricket Bob Hunt who I grew up listening to there will never be another commentator like Bob Hunt and I just loved listening to Bob because he was so wonderfully enthusiastic as a broadcaster and I you just never knew what was going to come out of his mouth at any <laughs> given time and the stories that he had of of cheating vicars and out of control tractors driving into his back garden and that sort of thing nobody can can tell those stories like bob and so he hung up the mic actually at the end of that 2020 season so i've been doing that for a year we're then into 2021 and radio bristol don't have a voice for cricket doing all of the Gloucestershire games and so it was kind of a patchwork in 2021 between Ian but Ian couldn't do all the games didn't particularly um I think want to do some of the away games and Covid was still so much of a thing in early 2021 and Stephen Lamb who still does some broadcasting as far as the Somerset stream goes but been covering both Gloucestershire and Somerset for ages and ages another highly respected broadcaster whose shoes somehow you've got to attempt to fill and, and but Stephen had had kind of mostly retired but he was persuaded to come out of retirement to do some of the games and so I was available to do some of the away games in 2021 and of course couldn't do the home games because I was down to do the stream for that but after 2021 the BBC said would you like all the games and so obviously no brainer and to be a part of that commentary service that I'd grown up listening to I mean, talking about formative experiences as far as TMS goes but I listened to to so much county coverage during the during the, the time I was growing up and probably far too much time listening to that rather than actually doing schoolwork as well but emailing into the likes of Dave Bracegirdle and Kevin Hand in the early days and, you know, to find yourself in a, a permanent capacity covering Gloucestershire 
and being alongside those broadcasters that you've you've listened to growing up was just an absolute honor and a privilege and actually the first game that i covered in that capacity in 2022 was the away game against somerset so um sorry 2021 it was against somerset and it was a game where uh, you know, it starts 2021 season of course there was nobody in the ground other than the players and you know it's a small trimmed down kind of team of, of media and and operations people that sort of thing and so i was the only person in that ground at, at taunton you can imagine you know even without baying fans taunton's a fairly partisan kind of environment i was the only person when gloucestershire wrapped up victory in that game who actually wanted gloucestershire to win the game but that was you know that was a kind of a real as you say sort of a, a, a pinch yourself moment where you got to do that game big local derby it was the first time that gloucestershire had played somerset in the county championship because the previous year had been bob willis trophy not not proper county championship first time they played in the county championship i think since 2006 so a, an awfully long time getting to cover that game kevin howells was there who i cannot stress enough how much i look up to kevin howells as a broadcaster he is just the most i mean as you know as, as a county cricket fan somebody who's been the voice of county cricket on the bbc for for so long and you know you, you talk about all the, all those names that i mentioned as far as you know like mark church kevin Hande, brace girdle and many many others who've been voices of their county since that service first started but kevin was you know he's got he's got such authority in his voice as well and 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 i just remember kevin will probably i don't know whether he'll not thank me or whether he'll just laugh if i say this but so i was, was probably quite nervous you know first day in that capacity obviously as i said i i'd covered quite a lot of games before that point but this was for the bbc it was on national radio and i had kevin howells next to me and i just remember we were using lip mics so you know rather than the, the headsets that most people commentate with now we're using lip mics and so kevin had his i had mine and one of the good things about lip mics is you can just put them down and you know you don't have to worry about coughing or whatever whilst you've got the live mic right in front of your mouth but i remember kevin finished commentator just finished doing an over and he just put his lip mic down on the table and just stepped back and went so i'm thinking what have i done have i talked too much or something have i have i have i have i upset him or something have i have i gone on too long because i remember hearing henry blofeld talking about a story i think it was on maybe his first test match and i can't remember the year but it was at old trafford that pointless detail i do remember and they were filling during a rain delay so 
Henry had said that he prepared a load of stuff that he was going to talk about during the rain delay. And he got on air and basically just reamed off this list of whatever he wanted to broadcast about. Been going for about what felt, I think he said to him, like 10 or 15 minutes. It probably was. And then he just looked around. Nobody here. <laughs> Where's everybody gone? And all there was was just a note saying, because it's just sort of, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon or something. Is it OK if you fill up until tea or something like that? And I think it was, you know, it was it was the kind of prank that they seemed to play so much in the early days of or earlier days, I should say, of TMS. But it was kind of effectively also saying it's a team game. And I've always kind of borne that story in mind when I've been broadcasting, especially when you've got a current player or a former player, which doesn't happen so often on county crowd coverage, but thankfully it still does, that really they're not there to listen to you, the listeners. They want to hear from whoever you've got on with you. And I've, I've tried to bear that in mind all the time. But when Kevin put his mic down, that was what was going through my head. Have I done something wrong? You know, and, and, and actually, Kevin isn't always like this, but some some broadcasters, it's very much the case of it's a little bit more, I want to say old school, but that's not, <laughs> Kevin had better not listen to this, but it's more kind of you're over, my over, you're over, my over. You tend to talk through most of the six balls and you just get used to the fact that some people like to work that way. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with working that way. It's just getting used to, to the way that different people work. And so that was in terms of really 2021 when I was doing kind of half the, well, more than half, actually, probably more like three quarters of the away games for Gloucestershire that year. But commentating with Ian for all the home games and been commentating with him for a year and a half. So I got to know the way that he worked. But that was one of the great things about the early stages there was working with different people and and finding how they like to work and, and developing rapport and getting into a rhythm with them. And I think that's one of the great things about being able to do the county coverage as a way of, you know, I'm, I'm, I, goodness knows, I've got so much that I still need to improve on. And, and I know that as much as anyone. But I think for that reason, county cricket is a great, kind of breeding ground because of that reason and also the fact that you've most days you might have three people but quite a lot of days especially in good old div two you tend only to have just you and the other broadcaster and you've somehow got to try and keep yourself going talking for well i guess at least three of the six hours of play and you've got to try and and keep that going so it's it it's just been the dream and it's been the best thing that could ever have happened to me and as i say it's mostly been through luck and having happening to be in the right place at the right time but of course you know you, you you yeah you do make your own luck at the same time but 
things could so easily have worked out differently. And to be honest, that is a very, very common theme when it comes to these conversations with broadcasters. It is a case of, it's a very unorthodox industry to get into, isn't it? Let's face it, it's not a case of you get a degree, you go into a placement, all of a sudden you're a commentator. It's not like that. You've got to force your own path. But just listening back to that, Ed, it's been a fascinating journey. It really has. And to be honest, I didn't realise that you started out in volunteer radio down in Taunton. So again, that's something that I've learned today. And just listening to that segment about sharing a, a comms box with the likes of Kevin House, with the likes of Bob Hunt and Mark Church, something which has come up a lot on this podcast when we discuss commentary and the world of broadcasting is imposter syndrome. And it's something which, to be honest, when I was in a commentary box this season, you do have that almost sense of, well, why am I here? Do I really belong here? In those early days of broadcasting, did you ever get that feeling in the comms box? You know, honestly, other than that one time with Kevin, no. And maybe that was just me. Maybe it was the way that I got into it in that, unlike, I think, probably most people, there's there's really no way to ease your way into cricket commentary, I don't think. You can maybe attempt to do it at home yourself and you know i'm well i don't think i don't think i am i don't think it is sad i i do actually commentate to myself at home because especially you've got you've got not even just just for any other purpose other than the fact that you've got six months where you're not able to actually improve or brush up on a few things and Actually, I think it's it's something that I've I, I know a lot of people talk about listening back. I don't actually listen back and maybe I should listen back more, but I don't really listen back very much to myself. But what I do do is that I do actually pretend that I'm commentating on a game that's happening, whether that be, you know, IPL, Big Bash or SA20 or, or international cricket. Um, and so I think it is one way that you can can maybe improve a little bit but in general there's no way of knowing exactly what you're going to be like on air until you go on air and yes you can do written work you can show that you've got a a brain as far as cricket goes and you know like like yourself you can do you could do a podcast but it is it when you've got that action happening in front of you and it's happening quite quickly at times you've got to somehow keep up with that and maybe just because of the fact that it was volunteer it was you know I had basically a year of of doing that and I was really fortunate to have that maybe that's one of the reasons I didn't have it but I don't know it's it's I'm not generally a massively confident individual I've I've got, I mean, just as an illustration, um, I mean, it, whether it would be officially diagnosed as social anxiety or not. But for example, I, I find it incredibly difficult to go into kind of crowded places. I tend to have to make a, a sort of a first pass around any sort of building or shop that I go into where I 
I, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, maybe not a supermarket or something like that, but 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 you know, a sort of a shop where I might have to ask a shopkeeper something or something like that, or you know, when I'm traveling and I go and visit a museum, I find it incredibly hard to go into a place like that without sort of walking around a bit and plucking up the courage. So my first day on the Gloucestershire stream, I did one full circuit of Neville Road, as in the ground rather than the actual road. And anybody who knows the ground at Bristol will know that you can't just walk round the edge of, of the ground. It's nowhere near as simple as that. You can get to the grace gates where most people enter, but then you've got to go basically a street sideways, go the length of the ground sideways on to the east to the western side of the ground, and then go beyond the level of, of the block of flats and then off to the Ashley Down Road. Then you've got to go all the way around there and again quite a distance the other side so it had to be quite a long walk in the end but i i needed that just to to kind of walk through the gates but once i'd walked through the gates it wasn't a case of i shouldn't be here or what am i doing here because then it's headset on commentary mode and i don't know whether it's because you can't see the listeners but i've never had a a problem with public speaking either so it's not that i just don't know what it is it it i I've, i'm fortunate that it's been something that i've had such personal confidence in that as i say until that time with kevin when it was first time on national radio i think that was really the big thing and yes it's it's still county cricket but at the same time it's a bit bigger than it just being on the the bbc sport website and the app so yeah I, I i think other than that I, i've been quite fortunate and and you know this year getting to commentate with jason gillespie and i've been doing a lot of work with david payne who is a, a terrific broadcaster terrific summarizer and you know he and i am sure would both like to do less of that work next season because he'd like to be playing more but um even doing that yeah I, it, it's a funny thing because of me the way that i seem to be wired that despite the other anxieties i i've never really got that with commentating that's fascinating to hear to be honest ed i mean is there any particular reason why you think that that occurs have you ever thought about that i i can only think like i say just because of the fact that I had a, a, an ease into it, but I don't know. I, th I think what it is, is that I find, and actually it's something that, that I've found quite tricky this past couple of years with the relentlessness of the county cricket schedule. You've got absolutely no time really to, to kind of prepare for individual matches and it's, bang, 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 as far as the broadcasts go. And I've tended to find that I live on adrenaline quite a lot when I'm commentating. It's a, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think 
necessarily always come across to the listener because you know i tend to try and remain fairly calm and fairly level but you are still almost performing it's that kind of performing adrenaline and maybe looking back like i say i'd, I'd never had a problem with public speaking and also i was quite musical when i was at school so I got to quite a high standard at cello and singing. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy playing the piano, but it was something that, I, again, I was told I had to do. So maybe just some of that childhood getting used to performing in front of people sort of rubbed off somehow. And this is going to sound, I, I promise you, it's not quite as posh. <laughs> as this is going to sound but at my prep school where mum and dad both taught so i had the unfortunate um feeling of being taught by my parents which is as intimidating as it sounds um and so uh, they used to have something called the elocution competition <laughs> i don't think that many schools nowadays have that but you know, it was, I, I don't know, even know why they kept it there. Because I say it wasn't, you know, this is this is Lincolnshire we're talking about. It's not, you know, I wasn't brought up in, you know, leafy suburban London or something like that. But they did have this competition and I won it six years out of six. And so maybe it was just something that, that I was able to do just because. But you know like like i say it's just it was odd and I, I i can fully understand where people are coming from like you say with with imposter syndrome and i know that it's something that that an awful lot of people who go on to be incredibly successful have and i'm not going to name names actually but quite early on in my broadcasting career a well-known internationally recognized broadcaster tms in i'll no i'm not going to say that because i would give it away international cricket broadcasts i was in a commentary box with them at taunton on about my third or fourth time commentating for the bbc and they walked into the box having heard their voice going around the ground at taunton on um the tv sort of highlights packages that they like to do you know at half time and walked into the box and went, oh, my voice sounds horrible and whilst that's something that i still wrestle with now it was kind of you know heck i, I can see that that people have to struggle with that that sort of thing if it's not necessarily imposter syndrome it's God, I, i'm not really up to standard here and you know I, I still get that you know i still think that wasn't where i want that to be you know i i wish my voice sounded slightly different but you know you can't change it but i can fully sympathize with people who who have to deal with that kind of thing because um i, I can i can relate to it if not you know being kind of fortunate as i have been not to get it myself so much 
Well, I suppose it's something which just dissipates over time, isn't it? As you get into the groove of it, as you become more comfortable, it, it doesn't present itself as much. But I found that a really, really interesting comparison with broadcasting and performing. Because when you think about it, both include an audience, don't they? And in cricket in particular, Ed, I'm not sure if you've experienced this too much, but I do see this a lot on the YouTube live stream comments for a numerous amount of counties. But people in cricket really do pick apart commentary, I think, more yes. than any other sport. I don't see it in football. I see it in football where people say, oh, that commentator sounds annoying, but they're not analysing every single detail. Yes. Whereas in cricket, so you have experienced this, if you get a date wrong, it's in the comments. Someone has obviously corrected you. Do you ever do you ever battle with that as well in terms of having to be perfect all of the time? Is that something which enters your mind over the course of a broadcast, per se? I try not to think about it too much when I'm actually broadcasting, because then, again, it's almost as if you're in the performance at that time. And actually, just, just one other thing on that. I think the whole thing about only getting one take as well when you're commentating live on cricket, you can't go back and edit out something that you said. And likewise, when you're playing a piece of music, yes, I suppose you can can stop and start again, but that is the absolute worst feeling in the world when, well, I mean in the world, but worst feeling in the world when you're playing. You can't have that happen. So again, I think maybe that's, that's some of the comparison there. So yeah, I, I try not to think about it too much. And I've always, you know, I, you're always going to get stuff wrong. You are. Everybody gets stuff wrong, even those with a sort of eidetic level of detail that some of the, the top cricket commentators seem to have when it comes to remembering exact dates and occurrences. But actually you do realize that everybody gets gets something like that wrong and I, I i try if i'm not sure about something to make it clear that i don't know or say if i don't know the exact date say about dot 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 you know but yeah i think i think you're exactly right because i think one of the reasons is because with cricket commentary you, you're just there listening to that voice for so much longer and i i do pity the poor listeners who who listen to Gloucestershire cricket because they get nothing other than me most of the time and if you're saddled with a voice that you don't like listening to then well I suppose for home games now you've got the alternative of having the stream but at the same time there's it, there's not that variation of voices that you can get so much on TMS and and one of TMS's great strengths is Especially, I think nowadays you get even more variety, which is is magnificent. And you're going to have your favourites and and those that you don't like listening to so much. But that's that's kind of the way. Whereas, especially with county cricket, you're saddled with this person. You might find them incredibly annoying. You've got to listen to them for six hours a day for what you're looking forward to most potentially in your entire day is listening to the cricket. So you know, I I I, I get it. But yeah, like you say, there there is this sort of feeling that you you've got to be perfect. And after the broadcast's over, so often I'll think back and go, "Oh no, I said 
such and such a date when it was that or i i forgot some detail or other which i'm sure some people would have picked up on and you've got to learn to let that go i suppose but it's still hard to do and it does happen you know a fair few times and and i'm cursed with the ability quite often to replay exactly what i said in a particular situation and very often not only after it's over and maybe i'm walking back to the hotel or something like that but it will just pop up when i'm having a, a nice quiet morning at home not thinking about cricket and then i'll get this ah i said that didn't i and then i won't be able to think about anything else for the rest of the morning so <laughs> it's just one of those things that happens but it is it's a frustrating place to be behind a mic for that long because you just know that you're going to set yourself up for failure at some point and yeah deal with it it happens though and again that's a great piece of advice actually just deal with it because the best in the business if you really do pick apart commentary and this isn't just in cricket it's in football it's in rugby it's in american sports as well you do notice that these these commentators are not always flawless they do have moments where they stutter or they go um they have moments of pauses to reflect on things not every single broadcast is absolutely perfect but the best in the business almost give the illusion that it is they just carry on they act as though nothing yeah. has actually happened and in terms of the the art of broadcasting itself ed what would you say has been the biggest thing that you've learned in these past few years because you've been doing it for a number of seasons now obviously starting in taunton going on to to be a part of the gloucestershire live stream and now being part of bbc radio bristol what do you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey in county cricket commentary so far i think it's hard to pick one really but i think it's more just a case of of picking up little things from everybody as you go along and that day that game that, that i was talking about with with kevin i think kevin taught me an, an ex extremely important lesson that day in that i was actually forgetting sort of i'm not saying talking directly to the people listening but kevin came on and 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 it was just you know he's got a front row seat listening to to kevin describe what he was missing about having spectators in at taunton his experience of of going there and and what he was missing most about not having fans in and that sort of thing and and i can remember that day learning that particular lesson of actually there are you know there there are people listening and you can talk to them as well as just describe the action i'm i'm still probably too focused on the technical aspects of of commentary and you know you talk about a broadcast not being perfect i, I think you 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 make a great point there in that when the best seem to hesitate or go uh it's somehow you don't notice it and it's only when you listen back and you actually realize yeah they did say that they did actually stutter a little bit over that word or that particular call or maybe that call wasn't quite as as perfect as it it might have been but i think that's that's something that i'm probably still working on again is just 
trying to when i'm stuttering or or whatever just try and style it out i think might be a way that you might say it so that is that's definitely definitely something but no i i, I don't know about one individual lesson but but just little things about maybe it's the way that somebody's described something or I, I i don't know really i think you just tend to find that you will pick up something from just about everybody that you commentate with and again like i say earlier on that's one of the really i think most sort of well yeah i think one of the the great strengths of of being able to to commentate on on county cricket in the way that we do it in that it's a different broadcaster every time and and you do learn different things and yeah i i i don't know actually in direct answer to your question but yeah i think i think it's just a gradual process and you try your best to pick up whatever you can as it goes along yeah i suppose that's a very valid way of of describing it you just pick up certain lessons along the way don't you and that is the great thing I think in particular about cricket commentary is that people are are willing to to share their experiences and impart some wisdom. I think it's fantastic, to be honest, in, in terms of some of the experiences that I've had with commentators giving me advice and putting me on the, the correct paths in this journey in broadcasting. And in terms of, of one highlight, Ed, if you could just, I don't know, summarise your time, not just in county cricket, because you don't just do Gloucestershire, of course, you also cover the Western Storm in the in the regional competitions but if you could go back and relive one day from your broadcasting career in terms of a particular highlight or a particular occasion which stands out above all of the others which one would you choose and why so a fairly easy answer i think actually this one whilst that win for gloucestershire versus somerset at, at taunton was was certainly up there uh, i would have to say even though they lost in the semi-final it would be the covid finals day that i got to cover in 2020 so gloucestershire were, were in the semi-final uh, at edgbaston in front of absolutely nobody and facing surrey and it just so happened that actually neither of the people that they'd booked to do what was meant to be finals day day one could do the reserve day so i got to do gloucestershire on that reserve day was commentating with charlie taylor so a completely different team as as was there on on day one and i think it was it was the met office forecast was the only one that said we'd get any cricket in at all on that day and i was quite looking forward in a way to getting to commentate on a bowl out from the indoor school. I I'm not saying looking forward to it because I didn't want it to happen, but it was going to be a quite a, a remarkable experience. But we actually got some cricket in. And that day was the first time that I got to be around more of, and, and it hasn't happened many times since, but I got to be around more of a TMS type set up so you walk into the media room at half past nine in the morning and within a few minutes ebony rainford brent's walked in and is 
is sitting down near you and and chatting away to somebody that you don't know and you kind of think well i'd quite like to talk to her but i'm probably just gonna sit here and <laughs> stay quiet but you know it was it was just one of those those types of days gloucestershire got knocked out surrey beat them in the semi-final but that was okay because i spent the rest of the day chatting to the likes of daniel norcross i met henry well actually i, I think i'd met henry once before but only very briefly met Henry Moran, uh, Alex Hartley was there and met Kevin Howells briefly for the first time there as well. So it was just, it was, you know, I'd kind of, it was a day where I'd sort of hit the big time, <laughs> even though it was still only just, you know, local broadcast radio Gloucestershire, but it was just a wonderful day and, and getting to chat cricket and also football not that i'm a football fan but it just so happened and this is a detail that again i'm probably going to get wrong that aston villa were facing liverpool and i think the final score was something like 7-2 to aston villa and so that was going on at the same time as finals day so sitting there in this media room and stephen finn's lying on a couch and ian bell is next to me getting to chat cricket to ian bell where at one point ian bell asked me what i thought about something what <laughs> what did you need to ask me for i should be asking you uh, so yeah finals day going on that football match and and kind of updating stephen finn on the liverpool versus aston villa score that that sort of thing it was just a, just an incredible day and then changing the tone two weeks later my mum passed away so she battled melanoma and it was you know really advanced at that stage and I didn't really know whether I should go I didn't in some ways I almost didn't want to go just because we knew that it was at that stage weeks rather than days and in some ways looking back on it that almost made that experience even more special in a way. And, you know, after I'd posted that I'd lost my mum on social media, basically everybody that I'd met that day sent me a message to offer their condolences. And I think that's something, I mean, you were talking about the kind of camaraderie or to use the fancy term esprit collectif uh sorry esprit de corps isn't it that one um that just means collective spirit um but there is that kind of camaraderie amongst cricket commentators and i think like i say that that almost made that day even more special so if i could if i could relive one day it would be that one and getting to see firsthand just how nervous daniel norcross gets when he's not on air it is quite a sight when Surrey are playing I bet it is yeah massive Surrey fan isn't he Dan Norcross flipping heck absolutely love the brown caps and yeah I think he made it quite obvious as well didn't he on Twitter but I think that's a lovely lovely moment Ed and quite clearly a very fitting highlight and obviously the the context surrounding the events afterwards have made that even more special and let me just tell you mate you're making her incredibly proud in this industry. You really are. You're a fantastic broadcaster. Mentioned beforehand about that award in 2022. I know you're too modest 
to talk about it, but to, to have received that award from the CWC is massive. And I know that you're not going to take the plaudits for it, but again, you're an excellent broadcaster and that is why you're here on the podcast today. That's why I wanted this conversation. And just to almost bring us towards the, the conclusion of what's been a fascinating conversation, it really has, Ed. We'll have to get you on again. But in terms of your future aspirations in commentary, I know it's very difficult, obviously, because <laughs> things change and anything can happen. It's a funny industry, isn't it? Let's face it. Opportunities just appear out of, of thin air at times. But in terms of your future aspirations, not just in commentary, but if we are going to be profound in wider life, what are you hoping to achieve over the course of these next few years? Oh, good grief. This is a job interview question. No, <laughs> I, I think you, you tend to kind of gravitate towards the answer that a player might give in that sort of situation. So let me try and think of exactly the right cliches to use. I'm going to control the controllables. That's, I think, the main cliche to get in. Um, what else? Uh, obviously, anybody would want to go on to higher honours. But no, I, I, I think, of course, TMS is the ultimate dream. I'm not going to pretend it's not because I think it would be for any aspiring cricket broadcaster. But it's not up to me to decide whether, A, I'm good enough or whether I you know, happen to fit exactly what they're looking for at, at that particular point. So, of course, I, I, I would dream of of that or, or even you know just just getting to cover things like domestic finals and 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 that kind of thing but yeah i i try yeah yeah okay i'm going to basically say exactly the words of the cliche whilst not saying them but i always try and and improve i try and get better and as i say i know i've got a long long way still to go i've only been you know, whilst whilst I've been doing bits and pieces for a while, this season was only my effectively second full season of radio commentary all the time. And it's kind of my third season, really. But it's not a great deal of time to be doing anything. You can't hope to have mastered anything after three years when it comes to doing any sort of a job. So I'm still learning and I'm I'm trying to get better as often as I can and, and try and every time go out there and put in the best broadcast that I can. And I know sometimes it's not going to be the best, but that's just part of it. And whatever comes, comes. It certainly does. Again, very, very handy life advice to wrap up what's been a fascinating chat. It really has, Ed. And obviously myself and probably a lot of the listeners, to be honest, of today's podcast, will be keeping a very close eye on your developments in this industry over the next few years. I mean, I mean, I've already mentioned the award. That says enough, doesn't it, to be honest, in terms of what the, the wider circuit think of you. And, yeah, it's an exciting time, isn't it? Obviously, in, in county crickets, uncertain as well, I suppose, in particular with um, local BBC radio, the future of live streams, and maybe even the future of some competitions. But county cricket always finds a way. That is the beautiful thing about the county circuits. It always delivers. So, yeah, I have no doubt that 2024... Will be yet another roller coaster season. Edens, yeah, wishing you all all the very best of luck, not just with gloss, but obviously with those dreams of TMS would be absolutely fantastic to hear you on Test Match Special in one of the future seasons. But 
I think that does bring us to a very nice end to what's been a fantastic episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. And Ed, before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, I just wanted to ask if you had anything to plug or promote, any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Uh, no, actually, not really. Um, if, if you're particularly desperate to give me a follow on Twitter, I'm at, sorry, X. Still got to get used to that. It's yeah, I, I, at, I get it, that mixed up all the time. It's, <laughs> it's at Ed Cricket 6, but I don't tend to post there that much, to be honest. I, I'm not really a massive social media person, so it'll be quite rare that you get too many thoughts outside of the cricket season on that. So, so no, a fairly easy answer on that. Well, there you go, folks. It is podcast tradition, though, to leave the Twitter slash x handle depending on which one you prefer if we're being technically correct it is x now i suppose but that is customary here at the counter cricket podcast so if you wish to go and follow ed on social media please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the podcast description but that brings us to an end for today's episode of the counter cricket podcast so each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there thank you ever so much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one